0: And I don't know about you, but I need that foundation. And so I don't want to let this time pass. I want to give you just another opportunity that if you agree with the words of that song, I want to invite you to join me and just begin to worship the Lord in this moment. We're in a season where sickness and death is falling upon many, many of our loved ones. I have friends that are in the hospital. I had one of my closest friends just pass away three weeks ago. And I don't know about you, but I I need to stand on that foundation. And because we're here today in the old church, I used to hear the church mother say because we have the blood running warm in our veins yeah. that we still have purpose. And so we have an opportunity to come before the Lord and worship him because of who he is. Not necessarily because of what he's done but because of who he is. Yeah. To worship means to count worthy. And he is worthy. And so I'm excited to be here with you guys today. My church family. uh, I've, I've preached here quite a few times. But this is the first time I'm preaching here as a member of Bethel Hope. And so I believe the Lord has a word for us on today. Join me in praying. Father God, we come to you on today, first off, just to say thank you. Lord, we thank you because you blew the breath of life into us that allowed us to be a living being. And you give us opportunity after opportunity, day after day, to honor you. And so Father, I pray that we be so careful to honor you not just with our lips, but that we honor you with our life. And so as we go and dive into your word on today, Father, I ask that you give me the words to speak. And Father, any area that I want to communicate something, and it's not from you, that you will shut me up and give me the words to say to your people on today. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. We don't have to look far To realize just how much we need you. For chaos and darkness surrounds us everywhere that we go. But thank you that you've created light and you've created light in us that we could light up dark situations and show people the path to you. So, Father, I pray that I'm faithful with that task on today. We love you and we trust you because you can be trusted. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in a situation? you just didn't know what to do? Maybe you had a big decision to make. Maybe you were faced with a major crisis. Maybe you had a rebellious child. Maybe you did something foolish. And not only do you know how you got into this mess, but you also didn't know how you was going to get out of it either. I'm pretty sure many of us don't have to look far behind just in 2020, when we were faced with so many obstacles that was dropped in our lap of a drop of a dime that just left some of us in a position of scratching our heads because we didn't know what to do. Have any of you found yourself in that situation where you just didn't know what to do? Many a times, um, not having an answers to life problems can leave us in a place of feeling helpless and hopeless. Maybe you can relate to that helpless feeling of not knowing what to do. If you're a parent and your son or daughter is is acting out and is making some, some bad life choices and this one thing that you're sure about is that you don't have the solution. Maybe you've suffered a loss in your life that left you feeling empty, and you just didn't know what to do. Maybe you were faced with a life crisis, and normally you could research things and come up with all the answers, but in this specific crisis, you was left without an answer and didn't know what to do. And I don't know about you, but when I get into these situations, I tend to feel desperate at times. In fact, if I sit on these not knowings long enough, those thoughts will begin to expand in my mind and begin to make me ask questions that that, that leave me to ask if I'm ever going to get out of these situations. Now, if you've ever been there or if you're there today, then I bet you can relate to one of the people we're going to study in today's text. I want you to journey with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. And in this text, we're going to discover a woman that's caught in life's contradictions. She's in the midst of a crisis. She's in an emotional crisis. She's in a financial crisis. She's in a family crisis and she's in a spiritual crisis. This woman is coming face to face with life challenges and contradictions of circumstantial hardship and one thing is clear that this woman does not know what to do. So it reads in 2nd Kings chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. It says now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in your house. And she said, your servant has nothing except a jar of oil. And then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour out into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her, son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said to her, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. This woman, this this widow is faced with a major crisis. And she didn't know what to do. And I love the way Dr. Martin Luther King put it in this quote. He said every crisis has both its dangers and its opportunities. He says it could it could uh, it could spell salvation. Or it could spell doom. And if we find ourselves in these situations or these crises or these, these life circumstances and we don't know what to do, it could drive us two ways. But the thing about life situations is it causes us to seek out. And so, just quickly for today, my, my thought. our our topic, our, our way that I want to push us, our question that I want to answer for us today as we look at the Scriptures, is what do we do when we don't know what to do? What do we do when we don't know what to do? That's right, talk back to me. Thank you, Jesus. It's been said that desperate times Calls for desperate measures. Let me set the scene for you. This woman, this widow, is in the midst of such a time. We read in verse 1 that her husband has died. Think about it for a moment. She's a widow in a patriarchal society, which means that she lived in a society where men's rights were privileged, were privileged and the rights of women were ignored. This woman was in a vulnerable position. We don't know exactly why she's in a financial crisis, but she says in verse 1 that the creditors are coming. Maybe it was something that her husband did. Maybe it was something that she did. Or maybe just maybe just like in the modern world, creditors were taking advantage of people who were living in vulnerable positions. To be a widow in, ancient, in the ancient world was to be in a vulnerable predicament. She lost her husband, she lost her money, and now she's in danger of losing her children. The legal system in Israel would not allow her to declare bankruptcy. She had to give her sons up as indentured servants to her creditors for a payment of the family's debt. Now, as, however, as inhumane as this may seem, the creditors were within their rights because Mosaic law allowed him to enslave the debtors um, and, his, as, and his children as far as the year of Jubilee until the debt has been paid. Now, for those of you that are mothers, perhaps you can identify with the gravity of her situation. Because nearly every mother would do anything that she can to protect her children. If you ever want to see another side of a a mother, I dare you. (laughs) I double dare you. Just mess with them babies. Nearly every mother would do all she can to keep her children safe and her family together. I remember growing up, you could always tell when it was that one kid that got messed with because mama would show up early in the morning when she dropping the kids off, she getting out the car, she she still got the robe on, she got the rollers in her hair, and the first thing she want to know is who messing with my baby. I learned a new term since I've been here in East Texas. It's this is term called the mama bear. <laughs> you don't want to mess with the mama bear. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Ricky came up with his own definition last week when he said I don't. And I came up with my own definition of the mama bear, but it's it's it's, it's a mother that will go straight into protective mode that you don't want no problems with. The mama bear And this mother is faced with a situation where her children are going to be removed as slaves because there's been a debt on the family. I don't know about you, but I would say that that's a major crisis to have to deal with. I would just imagine in my mind that this mother has some sleepless nights. I would just imagine in my mind that this mother just didn't know what to do. So this woman comes to Elisha with a request because she doesn't know what to do. And what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, I think we'll find some answers to these questions as we look through this text. The first thing that you do when you don't know what to do is ask. When you don't know what to do, you ask. Let's look back at verse 1. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out. To cry out here literally means to appeal for help. It occurs eight times in 2 Kings, and almost every time it means to appeal for help. To cry out is to say to God, I need you to come to my rescue. If I was at the Missionary Baptist Church back in Compton, California, this would be the time I would say, could I have a witness here? To cry out means I need you to come to my rescue. It means God, I need you to come to my aid. And in coming to Elisha, the prophet, she is, in fact, seeking out God himself through the prophet Elisha. And she's saying, Lord, I need I need help. We know that this woman, this widow, we know that her husband revered the Lord because that's what Scripture says. In other words, he respected the Lord. He valued the Lord. He honored the Lord. He held the Lord in high esteem. Her husband was in ministry. She came from a good family. They had done everything right. But now, All of that is gone. Her husband is gone. This is evidence right here that bad things don't happen to good people. I have many conversations with many people that struggle to, to, to find God or struggle to try to seek a relationship to God because that's one of the questions that they always have. If this God is so good, then why does Bad things happen to good people. What is right here in the text is evidence that that is real. This family has done everything right. He is one that sought the Lord and led his family to seek the Lord. And here it is. They're in crisis. She's now pleading and crying out to God for help. Is this the first or last person in Scripture who cries out to God for aid or who makes appeal for divine help? Of course not. I'm reminded in Scripture when the prophet Isaiah, in the midst of a divided kingdom, when Israel was separate from Judah, crying out to help. I remember, I'm reminded of of, of the prophet in the midst of a crisis in Isaiah 64 crying out to help, asking God to come down from the heavens. I'm reminded just on a scripture last week that Pastor Ricky talked about with blind Bartimaeus when he cried out to help. This woman is a part of a long line of people who recognize that God is the source of their help and their comfort. To cry out for help in the Scriptures is the norm, not the exception. I think I need to rewind that and play that again. To cry out to God in the, in, in, in the Scriptures is the norm, not the exception. Let me me pause for a minute so I can ask you a few questions. The first question is, are you too proud to cry out to God? Are you too proud to cry out to God? And the second is like it. To where do you go or to whom do you go when it seems like life is caving in on you? When it seems like all hell is breaking out in your life, where do you go? Because the truth of the matter is we like to run to everything but God. We run to get advice and then we get mad when we become the gossip of the people that we sought out for advice. Are y'all with me? We run to our phones. We run to these distractions. And in doing so, we actually cut ourselves off from God. The problem is that we look to God as our last resort when God should be our first resort. And so when we don't know what to do, ask God to come to our help. We ought to cry out to God. Now, I don't know culturally if everybody is familiar with this group, but it was a famous group called TLC. And they had this this hit song that said, I ain't too proud to beg. Now, when you don't know what to do, you better not be too proud to beg. Cry out to the one that wants to step and intervene in your situation. The second thing to do when you don't know what to do is to listen. Let's pick up at verse two. Elijah replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And just look at this response. And this, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but look at this response because what she does is what many of us do. Her first response was, your servant has nothing at all. (laughs) How often do we recognize what we don't have first? She says, your servant has nothing at all except, except a jar of oil. It's, it's amazing that we, 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 we always look for the insufficient things first. When we're surrounded by all the answers and all the solutions to the problems and to the, to the things that the Lord wants to use in our life, but those are the last things that we actually look at. So she says, I have nothing at all except this small jar of oil. That phrase, small jar, is important. And in in the ESV, um, it just says a a jar of oil. But in the NIV, it says a small jar of oil. It would be equivalent to about one serving of oil. And this is what the widow is saying is, that's all I have. And then Elijah asked her this very strange thing. Instead of asking her to bring the oil to him, Do you know what he tells her to do? He asks her to go around to her neighbors. You know, that's why it's important to have community in the body of Christ. Because a lot of the solutions to our issues and crises and problems lies within those that have been surrounded around us. And so he tells her to go to her neighbor's and to pick up a bunch of vessels of jars from them and to bring them to her house and then pour out the little bit of oil that she does have into the other jars. Now, if, I, don't want, I don't want you to miss that because there's two important things that happen just in this small verse. The first thing that happens is Elijah is telling her to take the only thing that she has left and give it back to God. don't want you to miss that because a lot of times when we're down to our last, we try to hoard everything for ourselves. We try to hold on to it. We try to stretch it. We try to make it go as far as it can, but this is what Elijah is telling her is to take the only thing that you have and give it back to God. Oh, that's a faith move right there. That's a faith move right there and we know what faith is because the scripture says that it's the evidence of things not seen it's a faith move to take all that you have and give it back to God the second thing that happens that's important in that in that verse is Elijah made the woman commit herself in faith to God's provision. To borrow vessels in this manner invited the awkward questions. It invited people into your business. It's one thing to be broke. It's another thing to let your neighbors know you broke. <laughs> and so he wanted to, he wanted to operate in, in faith, he wanted to stretch her faith, but he also wanted her to recognize the provision that's going to come along with her operating in faith. And her choice is really our choice to make. Will we listen to divine instruction or will we listen and look at our circumstances as things that will distract us from divine instructions? Uh, there are all kinds of voices that we can listen to in this world if we wanted to. But will we listen to the voice of God? Will we listen to divine instructions? Will we listen in circumstances, when, when, when circumstances are desperate and dire? Will we listen? I had a mentor that used to put it this way. He said, circumstances consistently call into question the promises of God. Will God be able to do What he says he will do. Will God fulfill the promises that he says he will fulfill? When we look at our circumstances and allow them to dictate whether we will listen to God or not, we're going down the wrong path. Will we listen to God in the midst of our circumstances in spite of our circumstances? This one right here is important will we listen to divine instruction even when it don't make sense? Will we listen to divine instruction even when it don't make sense? Now, what sense does that make if I have this little bitty flask of oil to go borrow empty jars from my neighbors to be a solution to my problem. I'm pretty sure this woman probably was thinking, well, what the heck is this gonna do? I'm broke. My kids are about to be sold into slavery to pay off my debt. And you want me to go get further in debt by going to borrow something from somebody? It just don't make sense. And if I'm honest with you, which I will be, when I look at my own life, it don't make sense. It does not make sense that I'm standing before you today communicating the word of God. Growing up, I was told that I'd be dead or in jail by the age of 21 years old. Both of my parents were on drugs until I was 16 years old. I, did, I was not raised in the church. It don't make sense that I'm standing before you today communicating the Word of God. My dad was shot in the face when he was a teenager. He's laying there, and I remember him telling me the story of how he was laying there in a puddle of blood, and, and he, he saw like light coming, and he was laid out and didn't just paralyze, couldn't move. and he heard a voice ask him, "Do you want to live?" And he responded to that voice and said yes, and he got himself up after being shot in the face and when it knocked on somebody's door, and that's who called the police to have the ambulance come to get him to the hospital that saved his life. And because he went through all of that, and he survived those things, I'm able to be before you today because my life could have been cut off the day he was shot in the face. And so when I look at my life, my life don't make sense. I'm here, to, I'm here today in Texas. I was a youth pastor in California. We was, our, our, our life was set up. We were good to go. And suddenly one night, I began to have these dreams of passing the don't mess with Texas sign. I don't know what that was about, but I started having dreams of passing the don't mess with Texas sign. I had dreams of my family playing in a big yard. We lived in Compton. My kids didn't go outside. And I remember talking to my wife. I was in transition to become the lead pastor of our church. And I remember talking to my wife and saying, that's not where I'm supposed to be. That's not what we're supposed to do. This is not the season for that in our life. And I remember talking to my wife about these dreams of having, uh, uh, of going to Texas. And I was, I remember My wife responding to me saying, well, if that's where you think we're supposed to be, and if that's what the Lord is leading you to do, then we need to do it. Now, that wasn't a response I was expecting. But here it is. We get on the road without a job, without without a place to live, with nothing but instruction from the Lord. And many people, even our family, told us that we was crazy. I don't know what y'all are thinking about. You need to go back and get another plan. And I had to ask myself, is do I want to please them or do I want to please him? And those divine instructions did not make sense. But when I operated on it, this has been the best nine years of my family's life. And so will we trust God even when it doesn't make sense? Will we listen to his voice? Because whether you know it or not, God is, in fact, still speaking. God is speaking to us through the testimonies of the scriptures, through the witness of the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us through men and women, servants of God he brings into our lives to help instruct and guide and counsel us. God is speaking through the testimony of the church, through people who counsel us and work with us and pastor us, the living witness of the body of Christ. God still speaks even in strange times like this. In peculiar times, God still speaks. And so the question is not whether God is still speaking. The question is, are we listening? The second thing I would say about listening is there's a difference between listening and hearing. Those of you that are married know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you can tell the difference between uh, your spouse, when you're, if your spouse is hearing you or when they're actually listening. <laughs> I mean, just the other day, I'm watching the Laker game. And for a few years, I didn't get the Laker games down here. I only get like the Mavericks and San Antonio. So I stopped watching basketball because I'm a Laker fan. But lately, I've been getting all the Laker games. And my wife, she asked me the other day, she said, Dang, do the Lakers play every day or something? <laughs> but I'm watching the Laker game. It's the third quarter. The score is 73 73. And all of a sudden, Kenyon wants to spark up a conversation. <sighs> oh, I'm listening. I ain't hearing you. But I'm listening. Good Lord. I like what Tim Keller says. He says when when he and his wife get into an argument, he says, okay, okay, I hear you. I understand. And the wife responds by saying, you don't understand me until I think you understand me. (laughs) Because there's a difference between hearing and listening. Finally, there's a connection between listening and obeying. This this, is, this shows up throughout the, the Hebrew scriptures. This is the Hebrew word, "shma." I learned this when I was in Israel in uh, 2016, which often is translated to hear or to listen. Um, but it's also translated to obey. When God says in Deuteronomy 6.4, here, O oh Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. In a sense, God is also saying, obey Israel. This happens when we speak to our children. Uh, we use the verb this way. We says uh, when we say to our children, you're not listening to me. And, and, and what we really mean is you're not obeying what I have to say. And so what do these insights have to do with 2 Kings chapter 4? Well, I'm So glad you asked. Uh, This woman is faced with a decision. It's a decision that she must make. And it's a decision we almost make, we, we must all make as well. Will we decide to hear and ignore? Or will she decide to listen and obey? But ultimately, she must decide what she's going to do. And so I I ask you today, are you listening to divine instruction? Are we listening to what culture says? Are we listening to what's on the news? Are we listening to what so-and-so has to say? What do you do when you don't know what to do? First, you ask, then you listen. Here's one of the final things we do we trust. Let's look at verse 3. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Elijah gives her instruction. She listens to him, she leaves, and then the text goes on to say that she does exactly as he said. Not only did she listen, but she trusted that somehow in the midst of this divine instruction that didn't make any sense, that following God was still the best thing to do. After she collects these vessels, Elijah tells her to pour out all that she has. Did you notice that first she said she didn't have anything else except a jar of oil? And so what he's telling her is to pour out everything you have into these other vessels, and I want you to see what happens. That takes trust. There's no telling if these vessels were clean. There's no telling if when she was pouring them, she would have contaminated the oil and the purity of it. There's no telling what will happen. She didn't know what would happen, but she decided that she was going to trust God anyhow. Jill Briscoe puts it this way in her book, A Little Pot of Oil. She says, sometimes it takes a crisis in our lives to test our faith, to show us the limits of our own strength and the sufficiency of our own strength and the sufficiency of God's provision. But we don't learn that lesson if we just sit around and wait for God to take care of us. We have to step out and pour out, trusting that the Holy Spirit will fill us and give us what we need to continue. Now, here's what I say to that. It's easier to trust God when things are good. It's easier to trust God when things are moving in the right direction. It's easier to trust God when our kids are doing all that they're supposed to be doing. It's easier to trust God when things are going well. But will we trust God when they're not going so well? Will we trust God when our kids aren't listening? Will we trust God when we find ourselves in a crisis? Because whether we know it or not, miracles wouldn't be considered miracles if crisis didn't exist. Many people pray for the miracle, but they don't want the crisis that the miracle is birthed out of. <laughs> I think that's worthy of saying again. Many people want the miracle, but they don't want the, the, the crisis that the miracle is birthed out of. Some of you remember the name Mother Teresa. She worked with the poor in India, and one day someone asked her, Why? The uncontrollable class. Why the untouchable class? Why do you work with the poor people? Why are the poor people so drawn to Jesus? And do you know what she said? She said, when Jesus is all that you have, you discover that Jesus is all that you need. When Jesus is all that you have, you discover that Jesus is all that you need. Now, there's something else remarkable that happens in this story, Um, and I don't want to take away from the principal characters, but there's something else that happens in this story that I love so much, because as the story progresses, what we'll discover is that the widow and Elijah are really a part of a larger plan. They're a part of a bigger story. Like, don't get me wrong, um, I don't want to, like, diminish their importance of Elijah and the widow, because they are the main characters of this story, but they, they have central characters in a drama and there's a difference between the characters in the drama and the one who wrote the play
1: and what I love
0: about this passage it reveals to us much about God this woman discovers what so many of us can discover is that that God does extraordinary things with ordinary people God does extraordinary things in the lives of ordinary people who are simply willing to trust him with what they have. He does extraordinary things in the people who have little or nothing, just like this widow who decide anyway that I'm going to trust God, that I'm going to ask him and that I'm going to listen to his voice. God's fingerprint is all over this text. Elijah says, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Elijah uses a different word in verse 3 than the word he uses in verse 2. When he says she has a little jar, he's talking about enough for one serving. When Elijah says to go out and get some jars, the Hebrew word is often translated as storage containers. Elijah is saying, I want to get you something bigger than this little pot. You see, if God is who he says he is and God can do what he says he can do, then there's something bigger in store for you. You have to know if God is exactly who he says he is, then there's something bigger than this little bit that you're looking at. Do I have a witness here? I love what he says at the end of the verse. He says, don't just ask for a few. Like, if you're going to ask, you might as well go all out he wants to go all out, and he wants her to get every single one that she can. And then, then look how it unfolds. She kept pouring. When all the jars were full, then she comes to the man of God, and he tells her, go sell it. Pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. One thing I love about Elisha in this passage is that even though he's a man of God, he gets out the way. Which we need to do at times. I'm realizing this more and more. I, 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 I have this, this friend that comes to me often for certain things and is always when they're in need. And I, and I, and I realize that even when I help them, they still go back to their norm, and doing what they do. And just this last time they called me again and I had to step back and say, you know what, I can't help you. Because I cannot be the savior of your life. That's not my position. That's not what I've been called to. And I love how Elijah expresses this to her. He gives her instruction, but he also gives her the freedom to go do what he told her to do. And in this instruction, and her operating on that, she found out that God would take care of her as well. And I love how, when we look at this text, that for her, it was limited. I have this small amount of oil, in her hands, it was limited. But in God's hands, it was unlimited. And we see a theme of that throughout the scriptures. When we look at the life of David, David thought all he had was a slingshot. But it was that sling, slingshot that killed Goliath and silt the Philistine army running. Because it was different in God's hands. When we look at the, the the two fish and the five loaves in a lunch sack, that's all it was in the little boy's hands. But in God's hands, it fed more than 5,000 people. And so it all depends on whose hands it's in. Are you with me? And so what that tells to me is that God does Extraordinary things with ordinary people. And what that means is that you don't have to have the PhD, the 401k, the MBA. You don't need the 501c3, the IRA. You don't need to drive a Lexus. You don't need to have the name, the the letters behind your name to make a difference for Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what I'm saying is that you don't need those things to make a difference for Jesus. Are y'all with me? I think about how this story began to make sense in my own life. About five years ago, we had bought a house and some land out in the country. And we had this grand idea that we was going to fix this house up ourselves. I promise you, you should stay away from those Chip and Joanna Gaines shows. Because we thought, man, they fixed the house in an hour. Surely, give us two. But we we bought this house. and, and, and out of all the houses we looked at, and we looked at some nice houses, but we was like, no, we don't want that. And then on a snowy day, we go and see this one house, and my wife and I pull up in the driveway, and we say, this is it. And we, we, we go in a lockbox, and we go in a lockbox, and we go in the house, and, and we begin to circle up as a family in the living room and pray for this house. And said, Lord, if this is ours, then please show us, and if it's not, cut everything off. And I remember us knowing that we wanted this house. And what we found out later on after we got the house was the house had some serious issues. And I found myself so frustrated with this house that I couldn't even concentrate when I went home because all I could think about was the issues and how I was going to go about fixing this house. And I remember I got to the point where I said, "You know what? I'm not going to deal with it no more. This house is going up for sale." Where that picture at? Is it we have a picture up there? That was the house and the land. And if you can notice the for sale sign in the front. I didn't know what to do. And so I said I don't want nothing else to do with it. And I remember it was bothering me so much that I would be so frustrated and so miserable when I come home that I would just check out when I got there and wasn't the man that I needed to be for my own family because I was so frustrated with this house. And I remember going to one of my friends, and I talked to my friend about what was actually going on in the inside of me. I said, man, I put all this money into this house, and now I got to deal with all these issues, and I, and I just don't know what to do. I cried out, and I remember asking my friend to come by my house, show the next picture, to fix, help me fix this. This was a hole in the deck entering to my front door. Someone had built me a brand new deck, and within a year and a half, it was rotted out. And when we walk up, it was almost like you was gonna fall through the porch. And I remember that morning when I cried out to my friend and told him what I was dealing with and how it was affecting my spiritual, the spirit man. And I asked him to come help me with that hole. And I could just imagine God laughing at me. He says, if you're my child, why are you asking so small? Why are you asking for a a, a, to fix something so small when I want to take care of everything. And then this happened. So I'm not just going to fix the hole in your deck. I'm going to fix your whole house. And I remember a cavalry coming. And there were so many people on my street that I didn't even know that came to tear down the whole house. And not only did they tear down the whole house, but they had another place for us to live while our house was being rebuilt. And not only did they have another place for us to live while our house was being rebuilt, it was on a golf course and a lake. I almost said, man, y'all could take that, we stay here. But the Lord lavishes his blessings on his people. When we go out on a limb and trust him. Now, here it is. A few years later, we pull up to a new house. They actually tore that one completely down. We had just got our daughter, Lily. Y'all see the little baby that be with us. She had just been with us for two weeks. We decided to take her into our house even when we didn't have enough room. And it was through that they said, you know what? The Hill family needs more room. Let's tear this down. Let's build a brand new house. Uh, Let's even add a new room since they have Lily on. And we walked into the promises of God, and this is not no prosperity gospel, but I'm saying what God can do when you trust him. And so we got a whole house built for us that we did not pay a dime for. And it was in this moment that Proverbs 10.22 became real to me. It says the blessings of the Lord makes a person rich and add no sorrow to it. Did you catch that? The blessings of the Lord adds no sorrow. Sorrow only comes into play when we're trying to spin our wheels and manufacture blessings on our own. The blessings of the Lord allows us to rest. It allows us to enjoy. It allows us to lavish in. And just like a rich person, it allows us to share with others without a need to try to hoard it ourselves. This woman experienced that. This woman experienced the blessings of the Lord. My prayer is that we live asking, listening, and trusting. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you direct our paths every day of our lives when we don't know what to do pray that we go to you thank you Lord you are good we love you and we trust you in Jesus name Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Amen.
1: Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Nate, for such an awesome word see the picture. I purposely the finished it up product. <laughs> I ain't put it I'm up here. Of, yeah, yeah, amen, amen. What a blessing. What a blessing to know the Lord is faithful to us. Uh, what to do when you don't know what to do. Amen. Um, I need to say that that passage is one of my all-time favorites. I have a very favorite message that I preach from that very same passage all the time. Y'all will probably hear it one day. But my title was A Problem and a Plan. It's the same thing that you said. So let's just learn to do that. Uh, we want to do this. We want to extend two invitations for those of both that are here with us in person and those that may be watching online. Uh, as I look outside, I see the snow is falling, so hopefully you are prepared to drive, and it is, I don't think it's going to be that bad that you going to have to worry about driving, but it is falling. We have snow falling, so uh, it's beautiful from here. It's beautiful. Amen. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, we invite you to get to know him today. Don't let this day pass without doing that. This is a great day to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So if you're here in the sanctuary and you'd like to do that, uh, let us know. Uh, Sam is here to help and pray with you, and Chris is here, and I'm here. Nate's here, and others. We can help and pray with you if you want to begin that relationship and that walk with the Lord. Both if you're online, send us a message, an email, or, or message us and let us know. We'd love to help walk you through that. And then if you're here, And uh, you don't have a church home. We'd love to extend the invitation to become a part of the Bethel Hope family. Both those of you that are here in person and online, let us know. We'd love to help you with that. If you're watching us online and you'd like to start that process, just go to the website. and There's a brand new form. There are brand new processes. They're easier than the one before. And you can uh, go ahead and get that going, and then we'll reach out to you. If you're here, let us know, and we'll tell you what to do. Amen. God bless you. Thank you again, Nate, for the word that inspires us to know what to do when we have no earthly idea, when our problems seem overwhelming. And I know that we have many overwhelming problems, but God is standing right there to give us direction and guidance. So God bless you. God keep you uh, is my prayer. Uh, Looking forward to next week beginning a new series. All campuses will start a new series next Sunday, preaching through the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians will be our text for the next long time, (laughs) at least until Easter. So get ready and help me walk through Ephesians with you and others. Nate will be back and uh, we're probably going to get JD. He's looking at me. We're going to get you up here too soon. So get ready. I'll stay ready. Amen. Uh, so next week, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we'll open with that as our introduction. Thank you. Yes, I, I'm so, I always have to be reminded. Thank you. But somebody always does. We don't want to leave without recognizing our first-time visitors. If we have any first-time visitors with us, would you stand? Yes. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Now, I'm going to ask you to remain standing. Don't don't sit back down so quick (laughs) because I'm going to ask you just to let us know who you are. Give us your name, and if you were invited by someone or not, let us know that. Young man, we'll start with you. Go ahead. Devin with JD. Amen. God bless you. Welcome, Devin. Yes, sir. Wonderful. Bill and Rhoda. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We want to make sure that you know you're always welcome to come back anytime. We love to have you. We pray that something that was said, done, or sung was a blessing to you today that will help you along your way. If there's nothing else, if all is clear, then let me offer this benediction. Now unto him who's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, now and forever. Let us all say together, amen.